Good night, good night. Welcome to Connections Outside of Comfort Zones. I am your host, Azure Blue, and I hope that you are all well when you listen to this episode of my podcast. If this is your first time listening in, I just want to thank you for giving me the chance or the opportunity to share my experiences with you and some of my views and thoughts on different situations. Here at Connections Outside of Comfort Zones, I will speak on any and everything for the most part. Um, In my episodes, I have been sharing my prison experiences, um, the connections that I've made during my incarceration, course if you listen you know that I also shared how I came up with the name of this podcast um today I am going to speak on a connection a prison connection again um it seems that those are the stories that I am most inclined to share as of right now um mainly because I did make a lot of uh or I can't even really say a lot, but I have made some connections during my incarceration that I did bring home with me, the connections that is not the incarceration. Um, But yeah, you know, I made connections during my incarceration that some people initially didn't approve of, not that I really care, but, um, you know, connections that others just wouldn't deem as being the norm. In the previous episode, I spoke very briefly on how I wanted to share a connection with one of my friends. During my incarceration, um, I was somewhat young when, when it began. Not even somewhat, I was young, you know. I was a teenager. I was at the end of my teenage years, but I was a young adult when I started my prison time, not even the jail time, because of course, if I was a young adult starting my prison time, I was a young adult in the jail as well. Let me get to it. I made a friend with, of course, a female during my incarceration. When I first heard about this female, um, of course, naturally, people talk, people gossip. Everyone's charge was being talked about, everyone, especially some of us younger people, I guess, because, you know, people, some of the women and, and, you know, just in the system, assume that young people shouldn't be committing crimes. But hell, me as a younger person, I felt like older people shouldn't be committing crimes as well. But whatever. Um, she was one of the youngest people in the prison. And her crime was spoken about often. Or her charges, they were spoken of pretty often because she was really young 
when she got locked up. <clears throat> Excuse me. We met because I wanted to be her friend. Some of the things that people spoke about was um, how she didn't have family, really. How her family weren't, how they weren't that supportive, how they didn't come to see her, how they didn't send her any money. You know, just how she was basically a child of the system. Her charges were um, first degree murder, or her charges are because she is still incarcerated. Her charges are first degree murder, use of a firearm, and robbery. I spoke of this friend of mine in a previous episode um, because I was sharing another really close friendship that I have with someone that I was incarcerated with. And this particular female, her name is Kirsten. I spoke of her because she was going up for parole. She, today, she is a 39-year-old female. She's been incarcerated for 23 years. 23 years she was incarcerated ever since she was 16. Upon hearing these things, um, I was 20, I believe, by the time I came into prison, or maybe 19, I'm not 100% sure. Um, I, I was 20 by the time I made it to the prison, and she was 21. They talked about her very often. I would see her. You know, a lot of people told me how she and I resembled if we could have been sisters and from them saying things like that with me being a young person you know wanting friends no matter what kind of environment or situation I was in because she didn't have the support I wanted to be her friend you know and not even on an intimate level or anything like that you know I just wanted to be her friend because I couldn't imagine what my incarceration would have been like if I didn't have the support that I had from my family. She and I, we just so happened to be in um in a program together called Milk Mothers Inside Loving Kids, and from us being in that program together, um, I don't know who spoke to who first, but she was pretty outgoing. Well, she had a very bubbly attitude, you know, and she was open for, you know, for a friendship as well. So, you know, my plan was kind of coming into play. Excuse me. Um, From us becoming friends through the program, we then realized, you know, like that neither one of us smoked cigarettes. So we both ended up um, on the non-smoking smoking wing I think I believe she wanted to come to the non-smoking wing not for me because she had a girlfriend um and they were trying to live together in a sense yes prison is a life or a world within itself and female prisons are a lot different from male prisons it is easier in a female prison for you to you know 
necessarily everyone is okay with it, but of course the inmates are okay with it. You know, we we don't need to be damn about this shit. You know, we could care less about it. The CEOs, of course, naturally doing their jobs. You know, they would care, but they also knew who who was together. You know, who was in a relationship. Why certain inmates wanted to live in the same building and things like that. They were always in the know of what was going on. <clears throat> Excuse me. So with Kirsten coming over, you know, to to the building where I lived in our smoking building, um, it you know it it made our friendship work out. We then became roommates and we became sisters. We would play cards together. <laughs> you know, I know I spoke of playing cards before in another episode. That is not the only thing that you do, you know, when you're incarcerated, but it is one of the easiest ways to gamble. <clears throat> and, you know, I mean, with us being two of the youngest people, of course, we adapted quickly. She was more adapted than I was naturally because she was being longer than me. I'm not sharing this to get sympathy or anything like that. I'm not sharing it to try and make people feel sorry for her because the 
crime that Kirsten and her co-defendant committed, it was a very heinous crime. Um, so I do want to put that disclaimer out there before I share this. I did not know her at the time that this stuff happened. Um, I can only imagine some of the things that went through her head at the time. You know, just just at that time of her life, period. Um, the person that I met, I you know, I I grew to love, and we are still friends to this day, 18 years later. Um, there could have been many times throughout our friendship, or rather our prison stayed together and our friendship in prison you know where I could have stopped talking to Kirsten or I could have just severed all ties with her um because I mean hey you know I I met her in prison but knowing her learning her getting to know her during our incarceration what she did at that point in her life and what was done it really doesn't determine how I deal with her. You know, I just pray that she really is remorseful for the things that were done. Um, as I stated, Kirsten was finally able to go up for parole. She was 16 years old when she was first incarcerated. She was incarcerated for a first-degree murder. Her and her co-defendant, her daughter's father, they killed one of their peers. And I am going to say they because Kirsten was an accessory, you know, to the murder. Although within the transcripts and whatever information they have, from her case and from the original trial it shows that she did not um, shoot the fatal shot I am going to hold her accountable for whatever actions which I've spoken with her about before because she was there and um, she didn't tell As I share her story, you'll understand why she didn't um, speak with the cops and tell the cops about it, but it still doesn't replace what was done. Kirsten really um, was hoping that she would be able to be on this recording and share her story, but since she was denied parole, um, I have to share it to the of my abilities. Kirsten did not have an easy life. I don't think any of us did. You know, being brown children or black children, melanated, whatever we would like to call ourselves. Um, but she did have it pretty hard. Her parents, they were, they were around, but they weren't, in a sense. 
Kirsten was molested and raped by one of her cousins and she had her first child when she was 13. Of course, being a 13 year old, um, or rather a 12 year old going into 13 and being pregnant in school, you're not even in high school at that point. And she experienced children ridiculing her, laughing, teasing, um, you know, because of what was just going around, you know, um, in, in their in their town, in their neighborhood, where they where they lived, with her being a young pregnant person, no one cared about how it happened, you know, what caused it, or whatever. People just talk. So, um, with her pregnancy somewhat being uh, swept under the rug and her family being ignored, she naturally was, I guess in a sense you could say looking for love, you know, in all of the wrong places. And when she met her daughter's father, she was in school and he was the only person that paid her any any kind of attention Kirsten in turn had another child by the time she was 15 this time as I said it was with her daughter's father her daughter's father who was also a co-defendant was um, somewhat disturbed in a sense he grew up in a group home he was still Um, in in a boys group home when they were dating and he was very abusive towards Kirsten. Kirsten, you know, accepted it. She dealt with it. She was afraid to leave. And, um, you know, she, I mean, she, she just stayed with him. One of the times when he hit on Kirsten, one of Kirsten's cousins found out and went and beat her her daughter's father up and broke his jaw. And um, when he when that happened to him, naturally he was highly upset. He was very mad telling her how he wanted to kill her cousin but because he couldn't kill her cousin because he was too afraid to approach him he came up with a plan to get someone else Kirsten said that um, and you know again I wasn't there I don't know exactly what happened I'm telling the story how it was told to me Kirsten said that she was on a playground with her two children and a friend of hers and her daughter's father came to the playground where she was with the young man their peer one of their classmates from school in his car in in the the, the young man's car and she said that um, her daughter's father he told her like I need you to get the kids 
we're gonna take this guy to, um, to this guy's gonna drive us to my grandmother's house but as she was getting the kids together she says he was hanging by her and he's like I know like um I'm gonna kill him you know and she says she didn't want to go but he had a gun and he let her know that if she didn't go with him her friend knew how knew about his attitude and I'm not even gonna say how crazy he was but you know just how rational he was um she left Kirsten right there on the playground once she saw him come along um Kirsten says that she then grabs her children she puts them in the car with them as well she said that she noticed the directions that he was giving the guy it wasn't to go to his grandmother's house you know she said she had no clue as to where he was directing them to but of course he knew where he was taking them to <clears throat> and um you know she says that he has them pull up to a deserted area and he gives her the gun He's trying to give her the gun. And he's telling her, because he made the guy turn around um, where they were, and he's telling her that she has to shoot him first. She says, um, you know, that she told him, no, she didn't want to. And he took the gun from her, and he pointed it at her son's head. And he told her that if she didn't want to shoot the guy, that he was going to shoot her son in the head right there in front of him. I mean, right there in front of her. So naturally, out of fear, she said she took the gun and she closed her eyes and she squeezed. And when she shot, um, you know, when, when, when she pulled the trigger, she shot the guy in his butt. She said when he screamed, she shot again, this time with her eyes open. You know, she said she didn't know where she shot him, but... He fell, so they realized that she shot him in the leg. She explained that after that happened, once the guy fell, her boyfriend at the time took the gun from her. He ran up to the guy. The guy was asking him, like, why did your girlfriend shoot me? You know, why, like, why, why did she shoot me? And he thought that the guy on the ground he thought that her boyfriend was coming to help him and instead of him helping him he shot him three times in the head a very heinous crime from there they took the guy's wallet and his car keys and they took his car after that happened boyfriend threatened her and her kids and he told her that if she went and told that he would shoot all three of them in their heads and kill them. They were found or rather the cops figured out who did everything. Two days later they were arrested. Again, I can't speak on this from, you know, first on a first-hand account because I was not there. 
I am just sharing what my friend shared with me as to the events that happened. Unfortunately, Kirsten's children did watch this happen. Her son still remembers the events to this day. Of course, she remembers the events to this day. She said that when the detectives came for her, that no one in her family went with her to speak with them, that they spoke with her by herself, and that they knew of a lot of the, you know, the, the incident. They knew of all of the events that happened. Her boyfriend, he he didn't tell everything. He gave bits and pieces. The detectives let her know that if she pleaded guilty, she would only get 20 years. That if she pleaded guilty to a um, first-degree murder charge, she would only get 20 years told her that if she didn't plead guilty, that they would charge her with capital murder and she would get the maximum sentence that came with that charge. Kirsten was sentenced to 63 years in prison. Um, I met her five years into her prison sentence. It is very unfortunate that someone lost their life due to whatever was going on with, you know, with Kirsten and her co-defendant. I am well aware that I only got one side to the story. But I am only going to speak on my friend's character and who I know. I don't know who she was when she was 16. I don't know who she was when she was 15. I could continue to play devil's advocate because there have been many questions that I have raised with speaking with her just about her life, with us sharing our life stories, our experiences with one another. I could relate to her because I was in an abusive relationship. That was the only way that I could relate to her in a sense. Yes, I was also incarcerated for a violent crime. You know, when if it was a situation to where she was defending herself, you know, I may be able to speak on that in a sense, but I can't imagine taking a person's life, you know, in a sense for no reason at all. My friend who I have today, my friend that I know, to me, she does not deserve to 
continue to be in jail. She doesn't. Her co-defendant, he has written a confession letter. After the fact, he has sent it to the governor of Virginia. Her sister has sent it to the governor. When good old Barack Obama was the president and when he was pardoning people, they sent the letter to him. Um, It was sent to numerous lawyers as well. The confession letter where her co-defendant is speaking on the exact events and who did what. Um, It was shared with many lawyers and there have been numerous lawyers that have said that they could get her charges um, turned around, you know, where they could get her home because she was railroaded, but everyone wants a dollar. The only people who have taken on her case in any capacity pro bono was the lawyers who um, who just represented her for her parole hearing. Throughout her 23 years in prison, she has not gotten into any trouble. (laughs) She may have gotten a few um, infractions, but nothing geared towards violence or doing harm to anyone else or hurting anyone else. She has done situation of it, you know, like, just everything about her charge, the acts, the crime, the everything, I love her as a person, and well, I, I mean, of course I love her as a person, I, I love her period, but maybe the parole board was right, you know, with not releasing her just yet, although she didn't shoot the fatal shot you know it's like a mother lost their child you know because their pair 
he was an only child to his mom. Not only that, he gave them a ride. You know, he like he he was coaxed to his death. He was doing a good deed by helping his peers or thinking that he was doing a good deed for his peers. And he could he he did a good deed to his own demise, you know. And again, like I, I am not happy that she didn't make parole, you know. I was very excited that she was considered for parole, and she was considered for parole because she was charged when she was a minor. mainly because of her sentence, because her sentence was so long. I can't remember the exact law that changed in Virginia to bring this about, you know, but I was excited with her. And when, not not even when, just leading up to, leading up to awaiting the decision of the parole board, six o'clock news or 12 o'clock news whatever it was it was one it it may have been in the evening I believe I believe it was the six o'clock news but she woke me up from a nap and she's like baby girl look up there on that tv screen and then when I look she's like is that you and there was a picture of me on the news and when I listened to the things that they were saying you know like they were just stating how I intentionally brought my my son's dad to Virginia try to kill him and you know all of this shit like they they harass my family um you know like they they were just hounds and since they couldn't get information from anyone they made up a story you know they made up their own story so from me having that personal experience I learned then at that moment that I couldn't believe everything that was being said on the news because they say shit you know just to just just to keep viewers you know just like just like your your good tv show your your good sitcom or whatever but I wanted to see like what what was said you know what were the actual events because was feeling as if I wasn't getting the full story from her. Not only that, because 
was I was a person, you know, that was incarcerated, that was put on trial, and that was convicted of a crime for defending myself, for trying to defend myself against a person that was intentionally trying to hurt me. You know, like I I I had to it's not even I had to. I like to put myself in everybody's shoes, you know, to just just to try to understand where everyone is coming from. And being a mother with a teenage son, at this moment, I'm putting my mother, I mean, I'm, I'm putting my feet into that mother's shoes. I can't imagine if a person intentionally set out to do harm to my son when my son with his big heart was just trying to help them I can't imagine that you know I I would I would go crazy like honestly I'm surprised that this person's parent that that young man's parents did not try to harm Kirsten and her co-defendant you know I mean, of course, there may not have been a whole lot of time in between the crime and them getting arrested, you know, them realizing that their only child was dead and whatnot, you know, like, I, I, I can't imagine. So, although I came to share this story and I didn't give a whole lot of my prison experience with Kirsten, and after speaking on this, um, I don't think I was 100% prepared for my feelings on this topic. Although every time I speak with her, we, you know, we, like, I, I find a lot of ways to bring it up in the 20 minutes or the emails I try to not discuss it a lot over email you know because texting and emailing like all all, all things like that are very impersonal um, I think you hear more sincerity in a person's voice you know when you speak with them over the phone hence why I decided to do a podcast that Sometimes goes all over the world, but I hope to get our brains working, get us thinking, as well as have some of you guys connect with me and learn who I am. Because, of course, right now a lot of my listeners are people who know me, but they don't really know me today. Anywho, but um, but yeah, I don't think I was fully prepared for my feelings. course it would be great for her to be home so that she can live an adult life or just live a life period outside of Fluvanna Correctional Center for Women you know outside of those prison walls but at this moment I think the parole board didn't make a bad decision it does not change my love for the individual it does not change
friendship when she is able to listen to this. But um, today, right now, I stand with the hope. Sorry.